My message this morning I titled, The Cost of Following Him. Following Jesus. The Cost of Following Jesus. We need to weigh the cost. And do we willingly and freely give ourselves into His hands? Say, Lord, I am Yours. That's a good question, isn't it? You know, as we were singing the songs, I was thinking, I hope that all that are watching were actually singing. You know, I hope that as you're sitting there on your phone or on the computer and you're seeing the words on the screen, if you were, I hope you were singing along. I mean, I have a confession to make. When I'm driving in the car and I got the music on, I'm singing along with it. And I know that it might not be a real joyful sound, but I'm singing the best that I can. And I believe the Lord honors that. And I believe that if you're singing along with it, God is hearing our sacrifice of praise just as if we were here all together. So I, I encourage you, sing along. If you have it on the screen and you have the words, sing along with us. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's praise Him. Let's just offer up the sacrifice of praise. Let's do it always. Amen? The cost of following Him, following Jesus. And I'm going back to Luke this morning. Luke chapter 9, and I kind of broke it up, verses 23 through 26. Then I'm going to jump to verses 49 through 62. Hear the word of the Lord. Then He said to them all, there was a, whole, a multitude gathered, all of the disciples, not just the twelve. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. That is worth repeating. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes. I pray that the Lord will not be ashamed of you when He comes. I pray that He will honor you and reward you because you have been faithful and followed Him. Verse 49, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is on our side. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord... Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them, just as Elijah did? I'm sure that if you've read the Scriptures, you've read of the amazing story of Elijah. They're speaking of the challenge where Elijah challenged the false prophets that they would build an altar. Each of them would build an altar, that they would build their altar to their false gods, and Elijah would build his altar to the Lord God, and they would place their sacrifice upon it. And he said, here's the challenge. 
we call out to our gods and the one that sends down fire to consume the sacrifice, that one is truly God. So the false prophets, they cried out all day, they prayed to their God, they danced around, they cut themselves all day long. And Elijah kind of made fun of them and maybe your God's on a journey, maybe he's sleeping. When they finally gave up, they probably gave up because of exhaustion. Elijah called out to God and he immediately sent fire down to consume the sacrifice, the altar, and even lift up, licked up the water It was in the trough around it that they built to reveal that He is truly God. You know, Elijah is probably most famous for this act, for this faithfulness to God. I mean, there's many things that he was faithful in doing, but this is probably the most famous. So let me continue. This is what we're talking about. Let us send fire down like Elijah did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Hallelujah. And they went to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid farewell to those, farewell to them who are at my house. I didn't get that right. But Jesus said to them, No one, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You. Father, we know that You are on Your throne in glory. We know that You will always reign. That You will always reign supremely. That You are truly God, the true God. And we know that Jesus is at Your right hand. And Lord, we thank You that You intercede on our behalf. That You speak to the Father for us, Father, and that you, you hear our prayers. And Lord, again, we do pray for our nation. We pray for our churches. But Father, we pray for this Word that's going to be broadcast over the Internet and over the phone. We pray, Lord God, that it would find fertile soil, that it would reach the hearts of those that need to hear it. And Father, we just pray that we would be faithful. Father, as this Word says, that we would be faithful to deny ourselves and follow You, may we truly do that. May we surrender our lives. And Lord God, be willing to go with You wherever You go, wherever You would send us to go. Father, I just pray that You would give us the strength, the courage, the ability to do what You would have us to do, Father, to answer the call that You have on each of our lives. And may we do it for Your glory and Your honor, Father, not our own. May we just humbly submit ourselves before You, and Father, again, we just pray your blessing, your anointing upon this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to kind of begin in the middle of our passage because the, the first part's talking about following and at the end. So I want to begin with verses 49 and 50 where John had told Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. And he said, we forbid, them to, forbid him to do that because he doesn't follow right with us. So we told him he can't do this. I want you to think about something for a moment. The way that John said that, it's very apparent that this man was successfully casting out demons. 
He wasn't just attempting to, he was successfully casting demons out of those that were demon-possessed. So, he had to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. He had to be a follower of Christ. He just wasn't with that group that was following right along with them. And proof that he had to truly be a believer is found in Acts. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Think about that. We don't know Him, but we exorcise you by Jesus, the Jesus that Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva and a Jewish priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Why? Because they did not know Jesus. They weren't a true follower, a true believer in Jesus Christ. So if the man in Luke that John was speaking of, the unnamed man, if he hadn't known Jesus, they wouldn't have had to forbid him from casting out demons. Why? Because that demon would have leapt out there and beat the tar out of him. That's why. He would have beat the living tar out of him. He would have went away scared like the rest of like those others that were doing it. So they wouldn't have had to. You know, you probably have experienced someone in your lifetime that was trying to exert or use more authority than they actually had. I know that we've experienced it at work. You know, you might get a, a manager trainee in there and boy, they let that, that authority they think they have go to their head. And it does, believe me, it doesn't work with a seasoned employee. You know, they just kind of laugh at them. But I heard this old tale many years ago. There was this farmer that was out mending his fences one day. This was a cattle farmer. And he's out mending his fence, and this car pulls up, and this guy gets out, and he just walks right over to the gate near where the farmer was mending his fence, and he starts to open the gate. And the old farmer says, excuse me, uh, you can't go in there. The guy pulls out his credentials and says, I'm with the Federal Agriculture Department. He says, and I have the authority to go anywhere I choose. I can go wherever I want to go. And again, the farmer says, but you can't go in there. He says, I have the authority to go and I can go wherever I want. Old farmer just threw his hands up, says, okay. Goes back to mending any fences. And the guy goes through the gate, down around the corner, around the building. A few minutes later, here comes the guy running as fast as he can, screaming like a girl with a big old bull behind him, chasing him. And the farmer looks up and he says, show him your credentials. <laughs> he thought he had authority, right? He didn't have authority over that bull. Those guys didn't have authority over those demons because they did not know Jesus. 
Don't try to exert more authority than you actually have. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles performed many miracles during their ministries on the earth. Even though the miracles themselves, friends, do not save anyone, they did have a purpose. They did have a purpose in their ministries. For one, they showed that they had compassion to meet human needs. We might not be going around and laying hands on people in hospital beds, but we can meet humans' needs. We can show compassion on others. They showed that they had compassion on those that were sick, those that were demon-possessed. But they also taught the spiritual truth. They revealed that Jesus Christ has power and authority over all things, over all things on earth, and He still does today. And He gave that authority to His disciples. There was a lesson to be taught in Acts. Paul with the apron and the handkerchiefs and all the miracles. These miracles were taking place in Ephesus. At this time, at this day and age when Paul was preaching, this was the epicenter of the occult. So here's Paul the Apostle doing the work of the kingdom of God right there in Satan's playground. He's proving who truly had the ultimate authority. And it's God and Jesus Christ. So remember that if you are a child of God, Satan has no power and no authority over you. Trust in Him. Don't give the devil any more authority than he has. He doesn't have any over you because you are a child of the living God. In Luke 9, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus knew that His earthly ministry was shortly coming to an end. That's why He told His disciples that He was going to suffer and die. They didn't fully understand it, but He told them that He was going to suffer and die. He knew that His time was drawing near. And that's why He set His face to go to, to Jerusalem. He needed to be there for the Passover. But this is what caused the Samaritan village to reject Him. They were upset. I mean, Jesus was well known by this time. Many towns and villages have heard that Christ was healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. They'd heard these things. Now they're upset. He's not going to stop and take time to pray over our sick. They wanted their sick to be healed and set free. They wanted to hear His wonderful teachings. But Jesus had a time restraint. He needed to be in Jerusalem because it was on God's timetable. It was during Passover that the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, needed to be sacrificed during Passover. So that is why they rejected, them, rejected Jesus and the disciples. That's why they wanted to call fire down from heaven. You know, when you read this and you think about it, who would you think would be the disciple who would want to call fire down? Peter, <laughs> exactly. I would think Peter would be the one. I mean, Peter's the bold one. Peter's the one that got out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter's the one that drew his sword out and cut the ear off of the servant. Peter would be the one that I'd be thinking, Lord, let me call down fire. But it's James and John. Maybe that's where they got the name Sons of Thunder. But remember, they were with Christ on the mountain too, right? Saul, Elijah. Uh, but you know, they had all just come back from being sent out to heal and to deliver. So, you know, it's fresh on their minds. They've got that, 
we've got that authority, we've got that power, but maybe it really went to their head a little bit. Maybe they didn't really fully understand Jesus' mission just yet, did they? You know, if Jesus said, go, oh yeah, go ahead, send fire down, it, it, it would have happened. They would have destroyed a whole city. But Jesus emphatically declares to them, I did not come to destroy men's lives. I did not come to destroy. Friends, hear that. Jesus did not come to destroy. But He says, I came to save them. I came to give them a chance to believe in Me. I came to give people a chance to follow Me of their own free will. You will never see where Jesus held a sword over somebody and said, believe on Me or I'm taking your head off. Because it's of our own free will. He gives everybody the opportunity to freely choose to follow Him. And that is the main point today. Following Him. He said at the beginning of our passage, if anyone desires to come after Me, if we have that hunger, if we have that desire to come after Him, He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Not just once in a while. Not just once a week. Not just once a month, but daily. Take up His cross daily and follow Me. The Greek word for deny is aparneome. I probably did not pronounce that right, but the meaning I'll get. The meaning is to deny utterly, to disown or abstain. Our source says, or one source rather says, that denying ourselves means in every moment of life to say no to self and yes to God. It is a life lived in a constant hourly awareness of the demands of God and the needs of others. Author and pastor Warren Wearsby says, to, de to deny self does not mean to deny things. It means to give yourself wholly to Christ. It does not mean to carry burdens or to have problems. It means to identify with Christ in His rejection, in His shame, in His suffering, and even possibly in His death. In other words, to follow Jesus is to realize that I can expect the same from life that He received. That's what it means to deny Him. Society may reject us. They may shame us. And there may be persecution if we do not fit in with the world but choose to follow Him. I believe the best part of the definition of deny that can help us fully understand what it means to deny is to disown. Because to disown something means that you make it known that you no longer have a connection with someone that you were very close to. So let's say a parent has six children, and all, that one child did something that that parent got so angry with, so upset with, they said, I disown you. I disown you. I no longer have six children, but I only have five. You are not going to be inheriting anything. You are not going to come to the family reunion. You're not coming by at Christmas time or Easter time. You are no longer part of this family. 
That's what it means to disown. That extent. Disown. So for us to understand what does it mean to disown, to deny, it is a self-imposed disownment of our own rights. Let that sink in just a moment. To disown our own rights. We are giving Him our rights. We are giving it to Him. We are willingly saying, I'm giving up, I'm disowning my creature comforts, all that the world has to offer for you. For you. Because He said, what good would it do to gain the whole world and yet be lost, right? So let's disown. I mean, He may not call you to give it all away. He may not call you to go someplace where you're going to be, but He may. That's where we need to be. If He does, are we willing to disown, give up our own rights that we think we need, that we have, that we want? Are we willing to disown them, give it to Him? Romans 14, 7-9 says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So even if we die for Him, He's still our Lord. We will be with Him. To realize the true cost of following Him. Let's again look at those who said they would follow. Or those that He called to follow. The first man said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, this same story found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20, it reveals that this man was actually a scribe. Verse 18, it says, And when Jesus saw the great multitude about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, and here's how we know it was the same account. He said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, there are very few scribes who would have attached themselves to Jesus. But it appears that maybe in a loose sense of the word that this scribe had attached himself to Jesus. You know, there were many among the large crowds that once they realized the cost, once they realized what they'd have to give up, turned and decided to follow Him no more. When they realized we might have to suffer, oh, I'm not, that's, that's a lot to ask. They turned and quit following Him. We might be persecuted. Well, they turned and quit following Him. You know, they, their emotions caused them to follow Him, but when they realized what they may have to sacrifice, they gave it up. It was a temporary impulse. And apparently that's what it was with this scribe. Jesus wanted him to count the cost. That's what he meant when he said, foxes have holes to go into. Birds have a nest that they can go light in. They have a place to lay down at night. But Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you're willing to follow me, don't expect any creature comforts. You may not even know where you're going to lay your head down. You may not have a comfortable bed to lay down in. You might not have a pillow under your head. You might have to endure some hardship 
if you're going to follow me. He didn't want them to follow him unknowing what they might have to endure. You know, I've had some uh, old friends that were in the military, and they'd shared how, you know, when they were younger, they'd go see the recruiter, recruiter, that they'd say, well, you know, I want to be a part of the technical side of things, or I want to be in the military. Oh, sure, yeah, we've got lots of openings there. Just sign here on the dotted line, right? But once they signed on that line, they found out we're going to the front line. You know, they didn't always get to do what the recruiters told them they were going to do. But with Jesus, He's being truthful. If you follow me, here's what you can expect. Here's what you're going to get. You may have to suffer just like I did. Just like I did. You know, Jesus did not reject the man. He didn't refuse him. He just wanted him to know the cost. He was willing, if he was willing to deny himself and come and follow. The second man, Jesus said, Jesus said to him, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, Let the dead bury, your, bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom. Now, you know, this might sound a little harsh. I mean, come on, let him go bury his father. But when you study it out, you realize the man's father hadn't died. He may not even been close to death. So the man's saying, basically, well, this is not the most convenient time. I will follow you, but when it's more convenient. No, after my father died. Well, it might have been five years from then or ten years from then. But it's just not convenient right now, Jesus. Jesus' response is not uncompassionate. But His response reveals that He must take first place in our lives. He must come first. Not our families. I know that's a hard one. Because I know that we all love our families dearly. But Jesus must be first. The third one said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This man seems to be more hung up on the concerns of the worldly things than his duty to follow Christ. The Lord came, I I know that He loves families, and I know that we are to love our families, but they cannot be first before Him. Matthew 10, 34-39 says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's the key. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. My friends, that's what it is to deny. He who loses his life for Jesus' sake 
will find it. He who disowns his own rights for Jesus' sake, for his rights, will find it when we truly make him Lord over our lives. He sums the cost up in verse 62 when he said, No one, having put his hands to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, whenever you're plowing a field to prepare a field, you must keep your eyes focused straight ahead. You know, it's especially important when you're planning. So I'm going to give you a modern day example. I know back then they had the oxen and they had the, the old wooden plow and they're holding on to the handles. But today, we're using tractors and more modern equipment. So if we're out there planning and we're planting with a, a water wheel planter plants one row, you can use it to plant tomatoes or peppers or all that kind of stuff. But if we have a field that's been plowed and it's been coloplacked and it's been disc and it's ready, you want your rows to be straight. You want your fields to look good. And Karen's grinning. Once in a while we do get a little bend in them. But what we will do is we'll take a stake out to the far end of the field. It might be 800, 900, even 1,000 feet away. If it's that far away, we put a white bag on it so it stands out because our eyes aren't as good. But we'll put that stake out there and we'll have a marker. So we're driving the tractor and you've, you're, you're lining the center of the hood up, that little chrome thing on the hood, with that stake way out there 900 feet away. And you have to keep your eyes on that stake because if you look back, you look to the right, you're going to... You look to the right, I'm sorry. I know my left and right. If you look to the right, you're going to pull to the right. Or if you look to the left, you're going to pull to the left. If you want your, your rows not to have a crook in them, you have to keep your eyes on that stake. My friends, Jesus is who we have to keep our eyes on. Remember, I, I mentioned Peter got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on the water, wasn't he? But what happened when he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the storm? He began to sink. My friends, that's what he's saying. We can't look back. We can't look back at the things of the world. We can't look back at those things that we've left. But we must look to Him constantly, continuously. Look to Him every day, every moment. If we look back at those things, the comforts of the world, if we look back at those friends that, you know, Maybe they're still living that wild life and we might, oh, we long to go back to that. You know, the children of Israel, they look back. They look back to Egypt and their pots of stew instead of following Him faithfully. We think of Lot's wife. When Lot and his family were called to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel told them specifically, leave, get out, get away, run, and do not look back. Don't look back to that which you've left. And Lot's wife looked back. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. Friends, we can't look back. We cannot look back. When weighing the cost of following Jesus, I think what we should really be looking at is the cost of not following Him. Think about that for a moment. Look at the cost of not following Jesus. Because if we faithfully deny ourselves and follow Him, we will be rewarded with eternal life but the cost of not following Him will be eternal separation from God. So that is the greatest cost. We would not enjoy eternal life with Him. What profit would it be for a man if he gained the whole world and his soul was lost or destroyed? Why would man lose eternal life to gain that which is temporary? Instead of losing that which is temporary to gain that which is eternal. 
In John 8, 12, David's not going to have this one for the screen. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If we follow Him, we will not be living like the world. You know, many want the worldly comforts and conveniences. So many seek after comfort and convenience. But if we are willing to deny ourselves, then we need to be willing to sacrifice and suffer, as He did, if that's what He calls us to do. Take up thy cross. Friends, that cross right there is not a symbol of comfort, is it? What is that cross? It is a symbol of sacrifice. And are we willing to take up our cross and follow Him daily? I can't answer that for anyone else. Only you can answer it for you. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Him? To deny your own rights? To disown your own rights and say, Lord... My rights belong to you. You are my Lord, controller. You are my King. I am yours. And I will follow you wherever you go and wherever you send me. That's the question today. Are you willing to follow Him wherever He goes? Amen.